Thank you, Jerry, and it's always a blessing to have the word read and to focus on that because we're here today because of what God has to say. I want to thank all the folks involved in the service and our ensemble and musicians, and um, the question has been asked at times, what's the difference between worship and entertainment when it comes to songs we sing? Of course, the answer is, who are we singing to? My heart is full this morning because we were singing to the Lord. I was, I know the team was, I hope you are as well. And uh, we just thank uh, the folks that, that spend time preparing and uh, looking to glorify God. I'm encouraged by the voices I hear around me. Um, that, that blesses me. I hope uh, the voices of others bless you as well. I want to uh, thank as well our pastoral team as uh, each has been involved in filling the pulpit in our uh, time of transition and uh, our church family as well and others that have stepped up and been a blessing to us. We're we're so thankful uh, for God working in that way. And we are rich at Calvary in so many ways and certainly uh, with the preaching of the word for sure. I want to thank you as well. Uh, Once again, in a season of change, of uncertainty, you have been faithful in giving and attending and encouraging us on the team. And once again, that that means so much to us. Thank you. Thank you online for your prayers, and I'm so glad you're with us this morning. As uh, Pastor Jerry mentioned, we begin a new series today, and as is the practice of the uh, pastoral team, we pray, we have discussion, what would be a good topic, what scripture is going to be an encouragement to our church body as we are in this time of change or uncertainty. And so today we begin um, a series in the book of James. I believe you turned there. If you didn't, James chapter 1, we'll be looking at that today. And by way of introduction, uh, let me just say the book of James is is not a book of deep doctrine. This morning we began uh, a series in the Sunday school classes on systematic theology. If you want doctrine, get into a class if you're not. Spend time there. We'll be going over a number of uh, weeks uh, just looking at God's Word and, and the order of uh, the system, systematic doctrine that God gives to us. And we are rich in His Word. But James is not that by any means. James is not a defense of Christianity, nor is it an explanation of salvation. James is a letter that is written to individuals who are assumed to know the basics of the faith. That's who these folks were. His intent is to drive home the importance of living out the truth. We've just finished up a series uh, not too long ago about conversations with Jesus. That was the desire, to be able to live out the truth. And so it is with the book of James, for sure. And the main issue that prompted James to write the epistle is still a current concern today. And it's this, if you say you believe, then why is it that you don't live as you believe? That's a thought to ponder today. And he makes a strong demand for transformed living in in daily conduct and navigating the Christian life well. And once again, in this season uh, that we are in as a Calvary family, What better time for us to ask the Lord 
to open our hearts and to use this series to bring about change. Because as we'll see in this epistle, there are things coming along in our lives that we have no control of. But the admonition from Scripture is we can, with God's help, respond well. And so we want to be able to ask God collectively, individually, God, work in my heart. Change me. Help me to respond well and, and move me toward Christ-likeness. What a tremendous prayer for us corporately and individually. And so I ask that you would join me this morning and ask God to help us in this time of his word and, and throughout this series that God would have that intended end for his glory, for our good. Father, we thank you for being able to sing this morning songs that point us to you. Do prepare our heart, but Lord, we desire to express our love and our worship to you. Father, you are worth the worship that we feel, desire, and express to you today. Lord, we thank you for our Savior and all those that know him here today. Father, what we experience in the rich inheritance of Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that you would use the word today as James speaks with a heart full of ministering to a hurting people. And Lord, you know the need here today of each individual. You know our lives. You know what we have struggled with this week. You know for some that they may not even know you, and that's their greatest need. And so I pray that your spirit would draw each one here to the throne of grace. Encourage our hearts by your word and by your spirit. And Lord, we'll give thee the thanks for what you do, for it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we know the epistle is written by James because uh, right at the beginning, he identifies himself as James. And of course, there are a number of James in the Bible, but there's little doubt that this is the half-brother of Jesus, the one that grew up in the very home of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, he didn't come to know Jesus early on. And sometimes that's the way it is. It could be right under your nose and you don't get it. It could be raised in a family uh, that shares the scriptures and, and you hear it and they bring you to church and it's there for you, the truth. But your heart isn't receptive to it. Perhaps that was the case for James. But uh, we do know that after the resurrection, not only did he come to know him, but he became a predominant figure in the church. Uh, more than likely, he was the first bishop or pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And he certainly was a man of prominence. But it was interesting, as, as I was reading through uh, the epistle a number of times this week, you would, you would think a man in, in his position in the church, a half-brother of Jesus, would introduce himself with some high regard or authority. But instead, James introduces himself as James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You love the humility that he demonstrates there. He certainly validates him later in the scriptures to say, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humility is something that we all should be striving toward, asking God, help me, Lord, help me to go low. And so James simply identifies himself as a man wholly devoted 
totally obedient and with absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he presents an argument, if you will, of why we as Christians should desire that as well in our own lives. One speaker translates verse 1 as, My name is James, Jesus is Lord, now let's get to it. And I think James is certainly that kind of personality. Uh, He wants to get to it quickly, and, and I love that. Tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me how it can be fixed. Boom, let's get to it. And that's James' personality, so let's get to it. I heard about a story that perhaps will prepare our thoughts for what James is about to say. It's about a seminary student who was driving to take his final test and was running a little late. Ever been there? Sometimes in in those situations, as it was for this individual, he set his cruise control for eight miles over the speed limit. And then he had his study cards, that last minute, you students know about this, last minute cramming, right? He had those little cards on the top of his wheel and driving and uh, looking at that and glancing. And as he glanced up from the card, he noticed a police car coming in the opposite direction. And just as he passed him, the flashing lights on top of the car went on. And some of you just got that feeling in your stomach, been there, right? (laughs) And sure enough, the police car turned around, pulled him over. And after taking his license and registration, he asked a question. Uh, where are you headed in such a hurry? And so the student said, I'm about to take my uh, final exams uh, in graduate school, and I was running a little late. And uh, the police officer asked him, so uh, what are you studying in graduate school? And he sheepishly replied, uh, biblical doctrines. Police officer said, wow, um, do you know what it says in Romans chapter 13? <laughs> Yes, sir, I do. We're to be obedient to the governing authorities. And then he said this. Well, if you know what it says, why don't you do it? Another good question for us to consider. We know what it says. Why aren't we doing it? Well, um, as James certainly speaks in this epistle. I think James would have loved the police officer's question because James does tell us later on not to be hearers of the word only, but what? Doers of the word. So that was James's heart. And James uh, certainly was one of four sons born to Joseph and Mary. If If they're listed in birth order in Matthew 13, he's the oldest, closest in age, to Jesus, and as any of you know that have brothers and sisters, what, comparison's always inevitable, right? And uh, I wonder, I wonder if if, uh, James ever heard, uh, why aren't you more like your brother? Uh, Pretty tough having literally a perfect brother. Why aren't you more like Jesus, James? Good question. And, And maybe as this series moves on, we'll be asking that question again. Lord, make me more like Jesus. Well, James was noted for his deep faith, profound life of prayer. I was thinking this week as I was praying and and spending time in this epistle, how James must have labored in prayer. God, give me the words. These folks are hurting. Help me be a blessing to them. 
And, and although it is direct, you know it's from a pastor with love. That's my heart for us today as well. A heart of love that wants God to have his way in our lives. When James got it, he really got it. There's no question about that. And he's writing to a group of primarily Jewish believers who are undergoing severe hardship. They were hated. They were despised. The Gentiles hated them because they were Jews. The Jews hated them. Why? Because they were Christians. Uh, they just weren't doing well. And, and in light of all those things, James could have told them many things. Oh, don't listen to them. Oh, come here. Listen, I wish I could hold you and hug you. These are difficult things for you to be hearing. He doesn't console them. He challenges them. He challenges them to rethink their response in times of difficulty. Can we trust God when things aren't going so well? That's really a huge step in faith. There's a modern notion that, you know, get saved. Your life will be easier. Please don't ever evangelize with that mindset of telling somebody, if you call upon the Lord, everything's going to be great, although it will. Don't lead them to believe life's going to get easy. That's, that's a foreign concept, certainly would have been to James, because that's not the case. Um, living happily ever after is really not the story that we would tell today following our salvation. There is a time coming, but in today's time and activities, we experience difficulty. And so, um, we often ask the question, how can I avoid trials? Who wants to go through a, a tough situation? But the real question is, Lord, how can I respond well to trials? And that's the goal we have today. Because truth is, we can avoid trials. What we can do is change how we respond to the things God allows in our life. I'm going to share some simple principles this morning that will help us, challenge us to think differently when we face these difficulties. And James jumps right in in verse 2. He wants us to know that a storm is coming. Verse 2 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If you mark your Bible, please circle that word when, probably many of you do. Because James is telling us something very important there. Trials are not optional. They're inevitable. They're going to come. He does not say if you encounter trials, but when you encounter trials. And knowing you as I do, some of you are in the midst of a trial right now. And if you're not, one's probably coming. That's life. Peter speaks of the inevitability of trials when he says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be astonished at the fiery trial which is to try you as though a strange thing happened to you. No, it's not strange at all, Peter. Trials are coming. Help us respond well, Lord. James says, my brethren, count it all joy. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says. He was an author and pastor of many years ago. He says this, To choose suffering makes no sense at all. But to choose God's will in the midst of suffering makes all the sense in the world. And I think James had the mindset of, listen, when you're going through trials, 
Count it as joy. The word translated different here or various in some translations has the idea of varied trials. And it does not emphasize the number, but the diversity of troubles. It's not the idea that you're going to experience many trials, although that is true. It's the idea that you're going to experience many different kinds of trials. Different things are going to happen. Many like we're dealing with today, and some here today may be dealing with the loss of a job. Or perhaps the difficulty of a relationship. Maybe an untimely death of a family member. A lingering illness. I pray regularly with so many of you, and and God is so good and uh, has given you grace in difficult times. But it continues to go on. Some dealing with depression, and it's so difficult day after day, it just won't go away. Some, perhaps a wayward child, and that's the heaviness of your heart today. Some, perhaps with an unfaithful or uncaring spouse, and it seems like it's never going to change. Some, perhaps with an abusive parent, and and it's just created such a difficult life, but whatever we are experiencing, friends, it seems overwhelming at times. And James is saying something here that can help us, because these trials are happening to mature us, to take us deeper, and to reveal our Christianity. Now, that may be harsh, but listen, if your faith is no good in times of trouble, then your faith is just no good. If, if your faith in God is only for when you're doing well, really, what good is your faith? True faith is to sustain us when everything goes wrong. That's why I said earlier, it's a huge step in faith. We're in the midst of trials, of difficulties, and we trust in God. We rest in him for what the outcome is going to be. That's what it's there for. The reality is that the genuineness of our faith is tested by how it stands up in times of trouble and it speaks loudly to a lost and dying world. Now, that may be truth that hurts, but nonetheless, it is truth. So according to our text, a storm is coming. But then notice in verse 2, once again, how we respond to the storm is crucial. how you respond to the storms. And here, James tells us, count it all joy. You might scratch your head at that thought. Count it joy when these trials come? Let me ask you a question. If you've ever gone through a difficulty and asked a question why, would you raise your hand? Hold it up for a moment. If you've ever asked that question, why, Lord? Why now? What purpose can this possibly happen? What can it produce in our lives? And folks, look around. These, these are common to man, as Paul told the Corinthians. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. Jesus asked why. It's okay to ask why. I've asked why many times, and I've searched out what God is trying to do. What is he trying to teach me? What is he wanting to show me here? But listen, nothing is accomplished when you go through a trial. If you just throw your arms up, you get angry or you get bitter. 
and you just step away, disappointed in your God. Some may be struggling with that today. These trials have just torn me away. I'm glad you're here because James has something to say and God wants to use it. I'm glad uh, you're watching online because you may have responded in, in, in a way that's not honoring to the Lord. Just, just think about a recent situation in your life. How did you react to it? When you got that call, when that person spoke to you, when something just went south, how did you respond? What were your thoughts? What went through your head? Was it anger? Frustration? Disappointment? Failure? You're not alone, my friends. We all go through those things. Once again, in verse 2, he says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall in different kinds of temptations. And, And this is very helpful. Here again, if you mark your Bible, circle that word count because it has a lot to do what James is talking about here. And he's dealing with really the response or attitude that we have when we face these difficulties. And to consider it all joy in the midst of our trials, what James is telling us, is to respond with a deliberate, intelligent appraisal of our situation. You see, this word count is an accounting term. It means to evaluate something, to add up. And when you go through these difficulties, Cultures, these, the idea here is evaluate what God is doing. Add up what he's trying to accomplish in your life. And when you do, you can count it as joy because he's trying to accomplish something. He's not saying that trials are a joy here. That, that should take some of the confusion out of it. How, how can we count it as joy? No, he's not saying that you should be joyful in trials or for the trials, but actually be joyful as you go through trials. Evaluate what God's doing. Adding up what he wants to accomplish, not only in your heart and in your life, but all those that are watching you. Because how you respond, mom, dad, little ones are watching. And oftentimes, we bring into life what we observed for so long. And we should be responding well. James is not calling us to passively endure a time of testing, but to learn from the experience. That's something we got to grasp today. Listen to Philip Yancey in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He says this, Rejoicing in suffering does not mean Christians should act happy about tragedy and pain when they feel like crying. Such a view distorts honesty and true expression of feelings. Christianity is not phony. The Bible's spotlight is on the end result, the use God can make of suffering in our lives. Before he can produce that result, however, he first needs our commitment of trust in him. And that process of giving him that commitment can be described as rejoicing. It's an interesting thought. And so, a right response is so important. And then third, God has a purpose in the storm. Verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking nothing. That's quite a promise from God's word. 
and knowing that trials have a purpose should help us and make a difference when we go through a hard time. Once again, reflecting, God is doing something here. Lord, help me to see it. Help me to respond in such a way that's going to bring you glory. It's going to minister to my heart in this difficulty. God has not abandoned us when these difficulties are happening in our lives. Listen to what Peter says as it reflects on the purpose of suffering. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Similar thought, right? Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various, various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There it is, friends. And according to James, enduring these trials produces certain characteristics in us. Notice, first of all, in verse 4, he says you can become perfect. And the idea of that is mature. It's not sinless, but mature, spiritually mature, seasoned in the Christian experience. Second, they become complete, meaning they're whole and entire, fully developed in the Christian life. Third, they are lacking nothing, meaning God will provide everything you need. Earlier, I quoted from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Not allow you to be tempted above the able, but will with the temptation give a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Folks, God will give you everything you need when you're going through that difficulty. And so, another way of looking at this is your Christianity is not Christianity unless it is tested, unless it is proved, unless it comes out the other end, praising God, yeah, still dealing with some difficulties in our life, but knowing God's doing something here. And Lord, give me grace that I might bring you glory in this. Testing in our minds sometimes is a negative thing, but James is saying not for the Christian, it's not. Testing is going to come. How will you respond? And he's not just suggesting that we rejoice. He's commanding it. Because God wants to do something amazing in our life. The word consider is an interesting word. It's, that word can be looked at as a little weak. We consider perhaps what we wear, what we eat. Uh, not a whole lot of thought for most of us goes into that. But other versions use the word count, like we read today, and that's a little closer because what does it mean to count something as joyful? And there again, evaluate it, add it up, consider what God is doing, and rejoice because he's accomplishing something in your life and the lives around you as he works in those particular situations. He's charging us to allow this way of thinking to completely rule or control everything we deal with, everything we face in life. Trials resulting in joy transform our minds and control our perception of everything we face. And he does it for the Christian who responds well. And perhaps there's the problem. You haven't been responding well, but maybe today you want to ask God, Lord, help me about that. God, forgive me 
when I'm taking these on myself and not allowing you to do that great work in my lives. And this is a command, not just a meaningless command. Sometimes we see things and we say, I don't know that I can do that. That's not the idea here. And when God gives his word and a command, he gives us the ability to accomplish that. And, and maybe this will help. Let's, earlier I asked you, hey, if you've ever asked why, um, raise your hand. And, and a number of you chose to do that. And why were you able to respond? Because that's something you can do. But let's say I want to tell you, if, if you've ever asked why when a difficulty has come, jump up and touch the ceiling. Can't do it, right? Uh, this is not a command that we cannot do. This is a command that by God's grace, we can accomplish in rejoicing through the difficulties we face. It is a conscious decision that we make. It is a part that we have. And this word trial here is a deeper than at first glance may convey. It carries the idea of not only these outward things that we face, that job loss or the loss of a loved one, but it also points us to the inward trials that we experience, the unrest, the tension, the fear, the discouragement. Some of you lost sleep last night. I lost three or four hours of sleep, but it wasn't because of any of those things. The storm made my Yorkie bark all night, so I lost sleep. But it wasn't because of this. When Zoe stopped barking, I slept like a baby. (laughs) But listen, those things that begin on the outside of us end up inside of us. And that's what creates the difficulty. Just as as, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us, beware of any root of bitterness springing up in you, troubles you and defiles many. Very much the idea of of what we allow to happen when we face a difficulty. And so what James is encouraging us to do, we are capable of doing it. So we can be certain that God has a purpose for these trials, but God also offers wisdom in the storm. Notice verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Folks, we're being told here that we don't have to go through difficulties on our own. We're facing a difficulty. We can ask God, and he can help us. Now, he helps us through his word and through prayer, and we should be doing that. But there are times that we face something, and we really are trying to understand what is your will concerning this matter. We pray, and, and suddenly we're faced with a decision. Lord, should, should I get this surgery? Lord, should I take that job? We prayed in Sunday school for somebody uh, with a job opportunity tomorrow. Uh, Lord, should, should I move to that state? What's your will? And we know that his principles and his commands are there to help us, but specifically, God has a will in these things. But we should be doing our part concerning them. We should recognize that that God wants us to approach him with the mindset of, Lord, what do you have for us? And he will give wisdom, not philosophical wisdom of the world, but he will give spiritual wisdom divinely provided through God's word and prayer. And when we have these situations, because we know the principles being expressed here. We know what, what scripture says, but how do we apply that to those specific situations? Romans 12 gives us a little insight, verse 1. There Paul says, present your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And then be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God has a will for everything we face in life. But we have to be yielded to what that will is. I said earlier that, that it's divine wisdom given to us, but it's not going to be the answer of what satisfies our longings. It's going to reveal what his will is in this particular situation, and he'll do that for us. But yieldedness is the key to that issue. When you are asking God about situations like that, and you haven't seen the answer through prayer and scripture, you can ask yourself some pretty good questions that God can direct your thinking. Always consider the pros and cons. List out what would work in bringing glory to God, because that's really one of the first things I ask. What brings glory to God? For whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we want it. Why? For the glory of God. What would bring glory to God in this choice or this choice? Does it violate a clear command or principle of Scripture? Jesus tells us to obey him. We sung songs this morning about being obedient. Scripture itself reveals to us that we're to be doers of the word. Does this choice violate a principle or command of Scripture? Could it cause a weaker brother to stumble? And and there uh, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul wants us to be mindful of how it affects people around us. What will this choice allow for those that watch my life and people do watch our life? Can I afford it? Jesus said, who builds a tower and doesn't first sit down and count the cost? How many of us just jump into something that scratches my back, that hits my button, I'm going to get it? Do we not count the cost of not only expense, but what it means when we purchase it? How is that going to affect our family? Have I prayed about it? And and Paul is so clear in Philippians about letting your requests be known unto God with thanksgiving. He wants to meet the needs as we've seen this morning in our lives. Have I given God time to answer my prayer? And too often we jump in. We lift it up to God and he didn't answer me yet. So I'm just going to do this now. I guess it's okay. Scripture reminds us, be still and know that I am God. Give him time to answer your prayer request. Could it harm my testimony in any way? Uh, Paul, again and again, talks about being an example. Folks, you're an example. You're light. The choices you're making in life affect others and their walk with Christ. It's a consideration for sure. What would the most spiritual person I know, would they go this route? Nothing divine about these questions, but it gets you thinking. It gets you evaluating. And, and if you're in the midst of making a, a choice that's pretty important, I've um, copied something that I use and give to folks. There's about 10 of them back there at the uh, information center. You're welcome to that. And it gives you scenarios and different things to approach that. And uh, if you get out there and there's none, um, let me know and I'll bring some more next week. But God does give us wisdom in the storm. And finally, we realize that God's blessing is there as a result of the storm. 
Verse 12 says, blessed is the man who endures trials. That's temptations. Because having been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. English journalist Malcolm Muggeridge once said, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on my experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfactions. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not happiness. In other words, if it were to be possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence, the result would not be to make life delectable, but to make life too dull and trivial to be endurable. Interesting thought there. Many of you know of uh, my cancer journey a number of years back, and it was when I did not know what the outcome was going to be, waiting on tests that were taken, but I knew I had cancer. And it was there, it was there that God met me and took me deeper in who he is, in what is ahead for the believer, and yes, wisdom in the choices that were available to me, and a great peace that passed understanding when my life was being turned upside down, there was joy by his grace to give him glory. And so we want God to be glorified through these difficulties. And James ends this section on trials by saying in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures trials. And this, by the way, is a a beatitude, uh, very much in the vein of Matthew 5 where Jesus gives the Beatitudes. But he says, blessed is the man that endures trials. For when, or literally after the trial is over, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here's a declaration of the blessedness of the one who passes the test. I love that. Blessed means happy, satisfied, fulfilled, in a joy is what James is telling us we can have here. In chapter 5 of, of, of this book, verse 11, he says the same thing. Behold, we count them blessed or happy who endure. It's not a happiness due to freedom from trial. It's a happiness due to victory over the trial. A big difference. Not the ordinary happiness of someone who never knew conflict. It's the exhilaration of one who fought and won. You've been there, many of you. It's not the happiness of the spectator. It's the happiness of the victorious participator when he's come out the end rejoicing and thanking the Lord. And the point is simple. The person who claims to be a Christian and goes through these trials and comes out a winner, which means... He never gives up his faith. He never abandons God. He continues to praise him. That's a Christian that is genuine. His faith has been tested. He will receive the ultimate blessing, the crown of life, which the Lord will give to those that love him then. But listen, you've experienced it, and I have as well. There are people who come. They profess Christ. They get baptized. They join the church, and something happens in their life, and they're gone. I mean, they're gone. I don't know if they ever come back. And whatever it was that came along in their lives, their response wasn't this. Same 
kind of situation that Jesus explains in Matthew 13 when he speaks of the parable of the soil. Things come into the lives of those that have heard the gospel and they're gone. Don't let that be you. We experience trials and and as I look at our church family, I know many that you are in. Things you're going through online. Folks, you can't even be here because of some of the trials that you're going through. But you've responded well. And your testimony is, he's God. And I rest in him. God has something great in mind for us. And whatever you're going through, he wants to use it. He's saying, hey, this is your calling in this situation. In this season of life, this is what I have for you. And James is calling on us to see that. This is how a Christian will look at the events of their life. This is God's plan for wherever you are and what you're experiencing. I close with a thought from Charles Spurgeon, great preacher and theologian of the 1800s. He says this, I have always looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I felt it then, to hang on to God's powerful arm as I hung on to it then, and to see God at work as I saw it then. Oh, by God's grace, may that be your response to the difficulties you're facing and even to the message today. And and as I close and and we sing a a song of, Lord, I need you, which is so true, you you may want to come up and, and pray and and ask for grace or wisdom for the particular situation you're going through. Or you must, may just want to express um, your need of him soothing your soul and the difficulty you're facing. God calls us to be open and to be humble. And I assure you, um, if you're praying for something, the church family is praying for you as well. You may be here today and, and the things I'm saying like uh, shaking you from your faith. And I'm a believer that if you could be shaken from your faith, we need to talk. Maybe you're convinced after hearing this that I don't think it was what I thought it was. I plead with you, have a conversation with one of our pastors today. I'll be at the welcome table out there, the uh, hospitality table, and I'd love to have a conversation. Any one of our team would love to show you from God's word how you can be absolutely assured of God's plan and will for your life. So as we sing, I'm going to pray for us. You come if the Lord leads you to do so. And if we could be a help to you, certainly we want to do that. Father, we thank you for your word. And your spirit is working right now in our hearts. Some may be resisting, but Lord, I thank you for all. That under the preaching of the word, Lord, you have a desire and will for us today. I pray you would comfort those that are hurting and going through trials that, Lord, uh, seem overbearing. Father, help them. Draw them closer to yourself. For the ones that are just discouraged, Lord, give a hope of encouragement as, as we lift up our voices now and call upon you because we do need you, Lord. For any that are doubting, Lord, the relationship they have with you, oh, help them in humility to say, I'm, I'm just not sure. Can we talk? Father, may you be glorified in the response today and all that's done in the moments to follow. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.